So I want to take you back to a, a, a moment in my life. This is going back about well, nine months or so. It was a, an early September morning. I was out jogging. Uh, I've been known to miss important dates in the course of my life. Uh, I kind of have a global sense of when things are happening. If it gets cold, Christmas is probably coming soon. Uh, we have a whole bunch of birthdays in August. Uh, it's our anniversary sometime in June. Actually, it's our anniversary tomorrow, 30 years. Hey. <laughs> but but on this September morning, uh, I couldn't miss the significance of the day. We had been bombarded with messages. Uh, every time you went into a shopping mall, you were confronted with back-to-school signs. You saw parents in the middle of the hustles and bustles getting the right knapsack and the lunchbox and the outfit. And, and on that particular morning while I was running around, I noticed what I had not seen for a couple of months now, which is those large yellow school buses winding their way through the street. So it's no surprise to me to see a couple of kids skipping their way down our street wearing nice new clothes, sparkly backpacks. And I said to them, you know, I hope you have a great first day at school. And they kind of looked back like I'd done magic or something, like a rabbit out of the hat. How did you know? They were stunned from their perspective. I was a genius, and I like their perspective. I would, But uh, this was miraculous to them that I could discern so easily and so early where it is they were they were going, what they were doing. They were impressed. I, I know those kind of things, I said to the kids, and I said it from time to time when I see them again. You and I, on the other hand, we are not so easily impressed. You know how I knew. You know because we understand there is a difference between the way that adults navigate the world and the way that young children navigate the world. In in many ways, we live in a very different reality than we than they do. Remember how your parents amazed you as you were growing up? How you could drive down the road on those long trips and they could point out every make and model of car? To me, that was a that was like magic. I mean, how did you know just based on the logo that that's what it was and this was the engine and how good is that? You remember how your parents were able to take a little bit of flour and sugar and an egg and suddenly there was cake? That is alchemy. I mean, that's, that's incredible stuff. What's the difference between an adult's view of the world and a child's view of the world? I think that we carry with us experience, training, just a life lived. And it means that we occupy a very different domain than young children do. How much more true must that be of God when we think about the way he navigates the world that he has made and the way that we do. I mean, you take the difference between me and those kids skipping to school. You magnify that a million, a million times. And you've just begun to set up the contrast between us and between God. God dwells in an entirely different realm. Scripture is emphatic about that point. First Corinthians 1 verse 25. Have a look at these words. The foolishness of God. Even the foolishness of God is higher than all human wisdom and the weakness of God stronger than any human strength. He occupies an entirely different dimension. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. Your ways are not like my ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts 
are higher than your thoughts. As you look at that verse, pay special attention to the word in the first line there that says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's thoughts are not even like our thoughts. They're not even in the same neighborhood. We're thinking, listen, do everything you can to preserve the body. God is thinking, do everything I can to uplift the eternal soul. We dream of things like pay raises and nice vacations. He dreams about raising the dead and offering life that's eternal. We design our lives to avoid pain and cultivate peace. And sometimes God understands that there is a peace that needs to exist and exists only in the face of pain. And there's a peace that is found only on the other side of pain. I'm going to do my best to live all that I can before I die. We like that idea. Jesus says radically and counterculturally, I want you to die to something so that you can fully live. We love, we love success stories. We rejoice in our successes. And we, and we worship at the, at the feet of our idols who we perceive to be successful. God seems to rejoice not in success, but in confession, in the ability to deal honestly with our own lives. We show our kids the, the Nike swoop, the million-dollar logo. We tell them to be like Mike, or, or we used to. We still say that, don't we? Be like Mike. <laughs> but God points to this one, this this crucified carpenter, the the one with with a torn side and says, I want you to be like Christ. Our thoughts are not like God's thoughts and our ways are not like his ways. He dwells in a different reality entirely. And that plane of existence, that reality is addressed in the very opening words of the Lord's Prayer. We have now for a month been dealing with the Lord's Prayer and we're still in the first line. So, my goodness, <laughs> we're going to spend the next couple of months and get all the way through. But there's just so much here. Having spent some time looking at the foundation of the Lord's Prayer and then following this analogy, this metaphor that the, the prayer is not just about teaching people how they ought to pray. It's actually about teaching people how they ought to live and how they live with the reality that God is living with them. We've used the metaphor of a house. And line by line, thought by thought, we're taking the prayer and we're allowing it to escort us into different rooms of this great edifice, this great house of God. This is going to be a house that will be familiar in some ways and completely unfamiliar than others. I'm going to take you into rooms that you absolutely know about and cherish in your own home and rooms that you have never heard of in any home as a way of understanding something of the vastness and the depth of God. And so here in that very opening stanza of the Lord's Prayer, we're being escorted into a room that probably you don't have in any of your homes. But how important this room is, because it identifies that vast chasm between the world that we know and inhabit and the world that God knows and created. The opening line of the Lord's Prayer, say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father in heaven. I want you to imagine God taking you by hand, leading you up the stairs from the living room, remember where we were last week, into a, 
a vast, well-appointed room on the top story of the house. This is the observatory. This is the observatory. And where normally we would imagine that kind of room to be filled with telescopes, there's no need for it here. There is an open ceiling, glass top, with a view of of the heavens above. In fact, it has that, that great magnifying glass, you know, the kind that's down at the aquarium in Toronto, where everything that's small looks vast, looks big. And as you're gazing up through the ceiling, it feels like the sky is falling in all around you. And you're being lifted up into the atmosphere of the heavens and encircled by the stars. They cascade past you. Our Father in heaven. And if you were to spend time trying to count them and spend a moment just on each of them, your entire lifetime would pass and you wouldn't even get through the known part of the sky. Just spend a minute there. And allow yourself to be caught up in the splendor of all of it. And then listen to Jesus as he teaches you to pray. Your father is in heaven. Father's in heaven. I remember as a, as a child growing up in a neighborhood, we were in Mississauga. My dad was a teacher. We lived in a typical Mississauga neighborhood, went to a typical Mississauga church. But we were surrounded by people with a variety of backgrounds, and many of them uh, quite pedigreed backgrounds. Uh, one of the people I grew up with, the father was a chancellor at a university, another owner and CEO of a major finance company. They were prominent physicians and lawyers, even well-known athletes. Coach of the Toronto Argonauts was a neighbor. Three different players for the Maple Leafs. Boy, the kids could boast about stuff. My father, my father has an office in the courthouse. Yeah, well, well, my dad, he owns that tall building that dominates the Toronto skyline. My dad, my dad plays for the Leafs. Oh, don't say that. Yeah. But you know what? In response, all of us should be able to claim, my father rules the universe. The heavens themselves, scriptures say, Psalm 19, the heavens themselves tell the glory of God and the skies are announcing everything that his hands have made. Day after day, they tell the same story. Night after night, they tell it again. They have no speech, no words. They have no voice to be heard, but their message goes throughout all the world and their words go everywhere on earth. Nature is God's workshop, and the sky is like his resume. The universe is the calling card of God. You want to know who God is? You want to get a taste of how vast and magnificent he is? See what he's done. You want to know something of his power? Look at his creation. You ever wonder about the strength of God? Just look him up in his home address. Number one billion starry sky avenue. You can step outside your house at night and star and stare up into a sky and, and see starlight that was emitted a million years ago. And as you read these words from, from 2 Chronicles 2, you can just allow the vastness of it to wash over you. No one can build a house for a God. Not even the highest of the heavens can hold him. What controls you, what dictates your life, doesn't control him. The things that trouble you and weigh you down, they don't trouble him. The things that exhaust you, they don't exhaust him. Kind of like an eagle 
You know, the Eagle's not upset by Toronto traffic. They just kind of soar over top of it. Or, or a whale, you know, are not threatened by a hurricane above the waters. They just plunge down beneath it. Or a lion who comes across a mouse standing in the pathway. This isn't the Looney Tunes. They just step right over top of it. How much more is God able to soar above or plunge beneath or step over the things that we perceive to be barriers and troubles? What is impossible for man, Matthew 19, 26, what is impossible for man is possible with God. It's even our questions, the questions that we ask of ourselves and of the world and of God, they, they, they talk about how different our understanding of this reality is from God's understanding. We ask, how can God possibly be everywhere at one time? Well, who says God would be confined by time at all? Time was his invention. Or space, or physicality. These were all his dream, the work of his hand. How is it that God can hear all the prayers being spoken to him at one time? Well, maybe God's ears are just a little bit different than yours. Or maybe he doesn't need them at all. Maybe God is just privy to every thought being generated in creation as it's being generated because that's what it means to be God. How can God be Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, that math that just doesn't seem to work as math? But maybe heaven's math is different than our math. Maybe the physics of God that operate are beyond the physics that we understand in the world. If people down here won't forgive me, how much more would it be unsettling to stand before God with all of my faults and foibles fully visible? But just the opposite, in fact. God is always able to, to give grace even when the human beings that we know are not. Because he invented it. How vital it is that when it comes time to pray, remember Jesus' disciples said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? When it comes time to pray, that we start by arming ourselves with the knowledge that God is vast, incomprehensibly vast, beautiful, majestic in heaven. You pray with any lesser conviction and your prayers begin to feel timid and shallow and hollow because because you're praying to a God that is limited by, by our confines. But if you spend time walking in the workshop of God, the heavens, the grandeur of the universe, if you see what God has done, watch how your prayers become energized. Thinking about this idea of the Father's workshop, uh, I want to reminisce for just a minute and take you into my father's workshop, my my physical father, my dad. Morning, dad. Uh, My father was the head of the science department at Parkdale Collegiate for his entire career. Um, and that meant, uh, in addition to what he did in the lab at school, he also kept a lab at home in the basement. And this is where he would prep the curriculum experiments. He even wrote a textbook at one point and, and so set up all of that stuff. All the cool stuff that you got to do in science class, we got to do in the basement. Hey, can I hold the tarantula? No, of course you can't hold the tarantula. You can in our basement. <laughs> Hey, that little piece of magnesium that you burnt and it burnt so bright. Can I burn the whole roll? Of course you can. You can in our basement. I mean, we, we had this incredible workshop and, and my dad trusting enough, let us go down there. And sometimes we'd be down there on our own and we'd surface again, having burnt all our hair off our face or eyebrows or, or hammered our fingers or something. And, uh, and from time to time, I think he'd just show up in a winsome way and say, Hey, can I help you? 
with that. With one sweep of a prayerful hand, Jesus invites us into God's workshop, our Father in heaven, and then invites us to eavesdrop as God whispers, can I help you with that? And we're not just burning little magnesium coils there. Behold the grandeur of the sun. And here it is creaking through every crack or crevice in this building. Every square yard of the sun constantly emitting 130,000 horsepower. I'm not a mechanic, but that's a lot, isn't it? That is a lot. Every square yard, every moment of every day, the equivalent of 458 cylinder automobile engines. And yet our sun, as powerful as it is, we're told is a relatively minor star, small compared to much of what is out there in the Milky Way galaxy. If you were to take a dime, hold it in your finger and stretch out your arm as far as it would go, if you were to hold it up to the night sky, the, the area of real estate in your field of vision occupied by that little dime would obscure from your view some 15 million stars. Pretty big workshop. Even think about this little ball of earth that we call home. Our planet, I looked this up, I don't travel with this kind of knowledge, but our, our planet weighs an estimated six sextillion tons. That is six with 21 zeros afterwards. And it is precisely tilted on a 21 degree axis in the sky. Any more or any less, and our seasons would be destroyed, the polar ice caps would melt, and the earth would be uninhabitable for all life. And, you know, even though our planet revolves some 1,000 miles an hour, 25,000 miles per day or 9 million miles per year, none of us goes tumbling off into orbit. Why? Because God, who stretches the northern sky, this is Job 26, God who stretches the northern sky out over the empty space and hangs the earth upon nothing, also created an invisible band of gravity to hold everything secure. As you pause for just a minute in this, this imaginary, imaginary, this metaphorical observatory, let me just have you consider a few questions. If God is able to place stars in their space, suspend the skies up there like a curtain, do you think it's even remotely possible that he might have something important to say about your life? Some guidance, some wisdom. If God is mighty enough to ignite the sun and give birth to the stars, do you think that he has it within him to shine a little bit of light on your path? If God cares enough about the planet, planet Saturn to, to decorate it with those gorgeous rings or to take Venus and make it sparkle with color, is there even an outside chance that he might care enough about your life to address some of your needs and bring beauty to it? I think Jesus understood this. It was Jesus who said, you know, look around. Look around at the great workshop of God. Look at the birds of the air, he said. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store things up in barns. But notice how your heavenly Father feeds them. And you know that you're worth so much more than the birds. 
Why is it that you worry so much about clothes? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothes for themselves. But I tell you this, even Solomon with all his riches was not dressed as beautifully as one of these flowers. God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. So you can be sure that God will clothe you. Don't you have even that little bit of faith? Why do that? I mean, what could possibly be in the mind of God when a tent would suffice? Why does he build a mansion? When, when songs, when songbirds could be silent, why, why does he do otherwise and choose to give them a voice? Why put stripes on a zebra or, or a hump on a camel? He could have made sunsets gray and we wouldn't have known any difference. Stars could have just hung there without twinkling. Waves could have just rolled with each other without those beautiful white crests where they cap and roll. Why do that? Why go to such extravagant lengths in designing a world that, that is capable of taking our breath away? I think you know the answer. And you know the answer because in some small way, even though we are separated by this vast chasm, you've probably done the same. You've, you've probably labored over getting just the right gift for just the right person. Spent hours scouring the aisles or scouring the internet. And I'm not talking about the obligatory gifts. Or the last minute purchases, you run into Shoppers Drug Mart and grab whatever bottle of perfume is on the end rack or or, or an Amazon gift card at the gas station. This isn't about, you know, blue light specials and discount sales. I'm talking about that extra special gift where you set aside money every month for months and months and months, and you kept it hidden until you had enough to go buy that pair of leather boots that you know he loved. Or, or, or the hours and hours you spent staring at a thousand different rings because the one that you wanted for her it had to be special. Or that night that you stayed up until four in the morning, Christmas Eve, putting together the bicycle, because they promised you instructions were in the box. They just didn't tell you they weren't in English. <laughs> Why do you do it? You do it so that their eyes will pop and their heart will skip a beat and their jaw will drop. And, and you do it to hear those words of, of gratitude, but more than that, of, of disbelief. You did this for me? For me. That's why you do it. And that's why God does it. Next time a sunrise, a sunrise steals your breath away or, or the wildflowers in a meadow leave you speechless, let me invite you just to stay in that moment. Say nothing. And listen and then imagine the voice of heaven whispering, I hope you like it. I designed it for you. And even if you were the only person on earth, the earth would still look the same. Himalayas would still have all of their drama. The Caribbean would still have its charm. The sun would still have a way of nestling down underneath the Rockies at sunset. If you were the only person on the planet, God would not diminish its beauty one degree because because it's doing something more than just hanging out there. It is trumpeting the grandeur of who God is 
and communicating something about his appreciation for you and designing a world that is still capable of taking our breath away. Maybe you find that all a little bit hard to believe or maybe the pastor sounds a little poetic. Maybe he stayed up late listening to music or something. But you remember those kids who who just thought it was impossible that some growing up they hardly knew understood that this was the first day of school for them, couldn't comprehend how it could possibly know that. Just because we can't comprehend God is the architect of the vastness of the universe, God giving us sunsets, doesn't mean that he hasn't done it. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are greater than ours. And sometimes out of the great wisdom of who he is, Our Father in heaven gives us just a little piece of heaven just to show that he cares. Next time you pray the Lord's Prayer, and the next time is going to be in about 30 seconds, but I hope we won't go rushing through that first phrase. There's a whole lot hanging on those words, our Father in heaven. Will you pray that with me? Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.